Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. We hope these messages encourage, convict, and inspire you to love and follow Jesus more faithfully as we seek to saturate our city with the hope of the gospel. Our online resources are meant to serve you, but they aren't a replacement for the face-to-face relationships that we were built for. So we really hope that if you're in Owensboro, you'll join us in person on a Sunday morning. And if you live elsewhere, you'll find a local church in your community where you can put down roots and find family. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc. Well, I want to update you guys on a story I began to tell you a few months ago. Uh, Some of you have been praying for one of my best childhood friends, Brian Johnson, um, who starting in second grade, there was hardly a Friday night where one of us didn't spend the night at the other's house. Brian's dad, Corky, uh, coached all of our little league teams, basketball, baseball, football, all the way through. And um, so we grow up, graduate high school, Brian goes to UK and I go to Murray and we, you know, we kind of settle down and start our own lives. So we would still keep up mostly just talk about UK sports. And so Brian called me a couple years ago year and a half ago and and we 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 bashed John Calipari for a little bit and then we began uh shifting the conversation and his voice changed and I knew that something was not right and he shared he had been diagnosed with um advanced stages of colorectal cancer and so Brian was 40 years old very healthy ate healthy exercised uh still played competitive sports one of the best softball players one of the best center fielders I've ever seen every time he stepped up to the plate he hits the ball out of the park um but now cancer had metastasized through his whole body and so me and another childhood friend Thomas um flew down to Jacksonville about 3 weeks ago or so um to see Brian for uh what we anticipated would be the last time. And Brian's little girl, Emerson, who's 10, had decorated their house for Christmas in October uh, because she knew that daddy probably wouldn't be there in December. And so we talked about the good old days and we laughed. And, you know, they say grown men aren't supposed to be emotional. So we tried to fight that, but we all had a tear or two. And then it was time for us to say goodbye. We had to catch a flight to get back to Kentucky. And, um, you know, neither Brian or I were ever huggers. That just wasn't our style. You know, we would do the manly fist bump thing or whatever. Um, And so Brian is lying there in his recliner and he reaches out his hand as though we're going to shake hands. And we grabbed hands, and then we we both just knew that wasn't right. And so I leaned over, and we hugged for the first time. Forty-year-old grown man, and we hugged for the last time. And we said, "I love you." And I get the message Tuesday morning, about three something a.m. from his wife Jerry Land that Brian's in heaven now, and we'll honor his life next Saturday in Hopkinsville. Uh, but you know, it got me thinking that one of the great tragedies in life, I think, is that we never fully know the impact we make until we're gone. But it shouldn't be that way. Brothers and sisters, let's start sending flowers before the funeral. We should really give the eulogy before the funeral. 
Tell people how much you love them now. Tell them the impact they've made on you now while they can still receive it. I trust in God's kindness. He allows his children maybe from heaven to look down and see that in some way. I don't know, but let's do it now while we still can. Let people know what they mean to you. Well, Brian meant a lot to a lot of people. He passes, and then social media just blows up. Um, I mean, just hundreds of people from our little hometown in UK, and and really just now they live in Florida, uh, just posting on what Brian meant to them. And there was not a soul in Katie's Kentucky that that young man did not impact in some form or fashion. Because the thing about Brian is he, he just had that charisma, that personality, that smile. He was just kind of always in a good mood. And when he walked into a room, he just lit up the room and it didn't matter. Brian was that guy in high school that probably 50 people would have said he's my best friend. You know what I mean? Like he he was friends with everybody, the FFA, you know, the rednecks, the jocks, the the nerds. I mean, just it didn't matter. Everybody loved him and he loved everybody. And he for 40 years invested his life in other people. His Brian's goal was when he encountered you, whether you were a longtime friend or a stranger, his goal was to make you feel like a million bucks. And he did it. And I want to be like that. And you probably want to be like that too. So the question we have this morning is, what will people say at our funeral? What are we investing in a time that we can't yet see? What signature are we writing on the souls of future generations? Or to say it another way, will our legacy live on even after we die? Well. God's got our church in a season now where we're thinking about the future. And in a big part of what I think the Holy Spirit is leading our church to do is we mature as a church, as we grow up as a church, as we get older as a church, is to begin thinking about future generations and the impact this church can make, not just in 2023, but I want us to start thinking 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years from now, there's going to be a 100% turnover in this church. None of us will be here. But there will be other people sitting in these chairs. And what we do now as a church is going to be an investment in what they get to experience with Jesus in the future. So that's what God's called us to do as we mature as a church, is to stop just thinking about the here and now, and let's think about those that are coming behind us. And this isn't original to us. It's always been God's plan. Go to Psalm chapter 78. God has ordained the world, and God leads his people to always be thinking in terms of the long-term investment. Jesus always says, play the long game. What impact will our lives make way after we're gone? Psalm chapter 78, we'll read in verse four. The Holy Spirit inspires the psalmist to write, we will not hide the word of God and his faithfulness from their children, but tell to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done God established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. That just means God's word. 
which God commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children. So God's Old Testament people, God says, I want you to be thinking a hundred years from now. Live your life now in such a way that not just your kids and not just their kids, but their kids' kids and their kids' kids are changed because of the investment you made right here. Don't let the gospel stop with you. Hand it off to the next generation. A preacher that I love to listen to is Pastor Crawford Loritz. He's senior pastor down at Fellowship Bible in Roswell, Georgia. And I listened to him preach on this same passage. He's preached a lot better sermon than I could. I should have just brought him in to preach it, I guess. But Pastor Loritz said, and I quote, he said, we must live with a split vision, both for right now and for a time we cannot see. We must keep an eye on the future generation. In a very real sense, the impact and full story of our life and ministry will never be realized while we are alive. We're a blessed people. We, we're gonna sing in a few minutes the goodness of God. God's been so good to us. And, and not just in terms of we have a roof over our head and, and food on the table, though we shouldn't take that for granted because there are millions of people in the world that don't have that. And we don't know why, but God's just been uniquely kind to us in this point in human history but not just in terms of material resources are we uniquely blessed, but God has given us his word. God's given us the gospel. As we understand, there are millions of people in the world that have never even heard the name of Jesus. There are tribes along the Amazon jungle right now who don't know, have never even heard a gospel presentation. And so it almost seems unfair, doesn't it? Like, why is it that we get to be raised in a place where there's Bibles everywhere and there's churches in every corner and all of us have heard the name of Jesus. Like, it, it almost doesn't seem fair, does it? But, but we have. We've received so much from God, but God doesn't want us to keep it for ourselves. God gives us his word and he gives us spiritual gifts and he gives us talents so that we can pass it on to the next generation. God's always thinking long-term. So a couple of examples in Titus 2, we see God instructing older women in the church to teach and disciple younger women. We see God instructing older men to teach and mentor younger men. And then you go to 2 Timothy, one of my favorite books in the Bible, Paul writes that letter to a young preacher boy named Timothy. And what he does in the first chapter is he says, I'm paraphrasing. He says, Timothy, the reason you love God today is because your mama and your grandmama invested in you. And, and, and Paul honors them and says their names were Lois and Eunice. You see, so the, the biblical pattern is one of generational investment. We're all here knowing God because someone told us about God. Someone sowed gospel seeds in us. God calls us to pass on his word to the next generation. So again, in our text in verse five, 
God established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, it's God's word in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. In other words, it's not an option to pass on the word. We're commanded to do it that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. The true value and impact of our life is not fully seen while we are here. Have you, on a somewhat humorous note, have you ever heard somebody say they're worth a lot more dead than they are alive? That's probably true for a lot of us, isn't it? Um, so you, you've also heard me say, if you've been around Annie and I, especially early in our marriage, fought like cats and dogs. And um, six, nine, 12 months into our marriage, I began to get concerned because on about a weekly basis, Annie started asking me with a straight face, how much did you say I get if something happens to you? And she wasn't smiling. Uh, she was dead serious. And so I was like, I, I think I'll pass on the pinto beans tonight. Uh, go ahead. Uh, She's been listening to Goodbye Earl by the Dixie Chicks. And I've just seen too many Lifetime movies. And it would be that it was the preacher's wife, the one you never expect. Uh, so I actually lowered my life insurance just to de-incentivize her. I was like, if something happens to me, you get 50 bucks and you can buy you a chicken sandwich or something with that. That's about all you're getting. Uh, it scared me. So, but anyway, this idea of our lives having more value after we're gone, that's Jesus economics. Christ is the chief financial officer of the universe. He's the greatest money mind ever. And when he talks about not just money, but our, our gifts, our talents, our skills, our time, he wants us to think long-term. Look at what he does in Matthew 19. This is the life verse for how to think about, how do I want to steward the resources God's given me? Do not, Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but here's a better investment, a more surefire investment, Jesus says. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. So Jesus says there's two kinds of investments we can make with our time, our treasure, our talents, our skills, our intellect, all the things God's given us. There's two ways you can invest that. One is a temporary investment. One is an eternal investment. And Jesus says those eternal investments have far superior returns. And there's no volatility in God's kingdom market. 100% guarantee. Good investment. Because we've read the end of the Bible and Christ wins. Right? So Apple stock is great and there's amazing mutual funds out there. But they have nothing on the surety of the kingdom of Christ. And so Jesus says, as you're thinking about how to live your life and how to spend your time, how to invest your resources, how to use the gifts and skills God's given you, he says, play the long game. Don't just say, how can I live a good next 20, 30 years until I reach retirement and die? Jesus says, think about how your life can make a difference in a million years from now. That's Jesus economics, play the long game. So the question I think the Lord has for us is, will our legacy live on after we're gone or will we be one hit wonders? 
Think about Johnny Cash, who passed in 2003, and 20 years later, even young generations love his music. I love, like, on YouTube, you'll have, like, 12-year-old kids singing Cash. And, 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 and my guess is, in, in 100 years, we'll still be singing Johnny Cash. And, and you think about some of these musicians who, who will always be played, but then you have other musicians who were what we call one-hit wonders, right? Like, they had that one great song in the 90s, but that's it. Nobody remembers them now. And now they're just lucky to play, like, a little, you know, tavern somewhere for, like, nine people. You got to remember when they were great. But with our life, we don't want to be one-hit wonders. We want to be the kind of people that make an investment in God's kingdom that in a thousand years from now, there's still fruit coming up out of what we've invested in God's ground. I love the way Pastor Crawford says it this way too. He says, quote, if you want to leave footprints in the sands of time, then you have to wear work boots. That's good. Christians, we're called to put on work boots, but how many of us want to kind of tiptoe around playing it safe? We don't want to take any risk. We don't want to be comfortable. Pastor Jameis has been talking the past couple of weeks about moving overseas and preaching the gospel. We ain't about to do that because what if something happens to us? It's risky. So we want to kind of tiptoe around life, doing just enough to get by, and yet pastor says, you better put on work boots. Make a difference that's going to last long after you're gone. Take risks for the Lord. God gave us Christ. He gave us everything, and he gives us one short life. You live, you blink, and you die. Let's not waste it. Let's make a long-term investment. How heavy are the boots you're wearing? And I was thinking about living a life and leaving a legacy in God's providence. We planned this message out a while back. It's on Veterans Day weekend. And I'm like, man, few people have worn heavier boots, if any, than the men and women who have served our country. They've invested. We are here today worshiping in freedom because of men like my Papa Edwards, who passed away in 1988, actually. Uh, there's Papa, but he served in the U.S. Navy for 24 years, and he fought in four of the biggest Navy battles in the Pacific during World War II. And some of my favorite childhood memories, I, I was about five or six when he passed, but even after he passed, my dad and uncle telling me the stories, like how he was the boxing champion on his ship, the Northampton, never lost a boxing match. And he was also the chess champion. So not only was he tough as a mule, but he was smart as could be. I don't think I got any of that from him. I've never boxed anything before, uh, but like a corn dog. Uh, but uh, Papa Edwards, one of those classic battles in World War II was actually the Allies' first major offensive against Japan in the Battle of Guadalcanal. My grandfather's ship... Um, the Northampton was sunk. And so he and all of his brothers were uh, left stranded in shark-infested waters in the Pacific for hours and hours until they were rescued. And I think about his sacrifices, so many others, that wasn't an investment in us today. My Papa Edwards never got to see any of my kids. He never got to meet any of his great-grandkids but he lived his life in such a way to give us freedom 40 years later. 
And so at Pleasant Valley, one of our values is to give honor where honor is due. Scripture says that. And so if you're here this morning and you have served our country, if you're a veteran, would you just stand so we can honor you and say thank you? We would love to do that. Amen. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. And what, what an inspiration. That, that's a biblical idea to live your life in such a way where you sacrifice and take a risk because it's not just about us, it's about other people. And in Psalm 78, that's what God is saying to do. Invest in future generations. Now, Jesus raises the bar on this issue. Look at what Jesus says in Luke 12. This is a verse that I think is good for every Christian to process through kind of on a regular self-examination. How am I doing? In Luke 12, Jesus says this, from everyone who has been given much. And brothers and sisters, look, I, I, if we have running water, we are more wealthy than 85% of the people in the world. Okay, so we're, we've, we've all been given much. Like from an American standard, right? Maybe we don't feel that way sometimes, but, but God's been so good to us. So he says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required. Even the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. Jesus has expectations, he says. So Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So everything we have is actually God's. Now, we work hard, but who gave us the mind to think and to work and to make money? God did. Who gave us the, the back to get up and work? God did. So everything we have is traced back to God. So God owns it all, and he temporarily lets us be stewards over it. So all of our resources are actually God's resources, and I think every time God gives us 10 bucks or a gift or a talent or a skill or, or knowledge, he, it's a test. How are you going to do with the resources I've given you. And, and Jesus' economy is if you don't steward those resources well, I'll find somebody who will steward them well. And so Jesus says, if I, the more I've given you, the more I expect out of you. So th the question is, are we hoarding up what God's given us in this life or are we gonna invest it in future generations and make a long-term impact? Jesus says, play the long game. And by the way, when we play the long game, we'll actually be happier because Jesus said it is more blessed. That word means happy, to give than to receive. You know, the, the culture says the more you hoard up, the, the more you invest in your own self, the happier you'll be. Actually, studies show that's not true. Studies actually show consistently, um, and by the way, this is, this is not to suggest that we should not aspire to do more and, and, and make more money, for example, for the glory of God, but, but secular studies show that actually the more money we make, statistically, the less happy people are, and that's because for most people, we live very self-centered, materialistic, consumer-driven lives that aren't about other people, and there's no joy in that. The happiest people I know are the most generous people, whether that's a widow on a fixed income or whether that's a person that has great means, but they're generous. Those are the people that have the great joy. And Jesus, economics is that. You will be happier the more you give because I've given everything to you. So every generation that 
lives and thrives and knows God is only because of the generation before them. So let's just take a moment and give thanks to God. And I want you to think about who introduced you to Jesus? And have you thanked God recently for their investment in you? Who prayed for you when you had backslidden or wandered away maybe? You know, that rebellious season you had in your life. Who, who was always praying for, who never gave up on you? They kept texting you, they kept calling you. Who taught you the word of God? Who invited you to church? Was it a grandparent? Was it a Sunday school teacher? Was it a neighbor? Maybe it was a coach. Uh, well, I have many that have invested in me. Um, I, I, I start with my mom. Uh, my mom turned 76 last Monday. And uh, one of my clearest memories, some of you have heard me say this, is every night before we went to bed, um, I had three older sisters, and uh, mom would set her little stool in the middle of the hallway, and our rooms would surround it, and she would get out the old family King James Bible that was like so heavy, she would throw her back out, picking it up, and she'd open it up, and she would read the Word of God, and she wouldn't like teach it or explain it, really. She would just read the word out loud. And she did it every single night. As long as us four kids were in the house. And sometimes my older honorary sisters would crank up Bon Jovi. They're listening to ACDC while mama's out there reading Leviticus. But mom would just keep reading the word. I never cranked up the music like my sisters. I just went to sleep. <laughs> like, sorry, mom. Like, Leviticus, I can't do this. It's 10 o'clock. But no, seriously, like, you, you do the math on that. And let's say you read 100 words from God every night to your kids, and you do it for 18 years. Tens of thousands of God's words were sown into me and my sister's hearts over 18 years. Tens of thousands. And mom knew the word won't return void. So even on those nights when we didn't want to hear it, when we're rolling our eyes, my gosh, mama, here we go again. That word was being sown in it. Mom invested. She was exhausted. She'd worked all day. But she valued investing in us, and we're all debtors to her. Same is true with my grandparents. I had Sunday school teachers. Donna Carter was one of the brightest women I've ever known. She was our biology teacher in our high school. So wise and intelligent. She taught kids all week long. You would have thought she was tired of kids, but every Sunday she taught our Sunday school classes. She opened up the Bible. And I still remember things Donna Carter taught me as a young man. And then Juanita Geyer, Miss Juanita's gift wasn't uh, teaching as much maybe, but she was in her 80s. And she was there every Sunday morning in Sunday school praying for us, investing in us, encouraging us. We're here because of people like that. So who did God use in your life to pour into you? Hey, if they're still alive, tell them thank you. Send them a note of encouragement. But B, use that as inspiration to go and do the same for somebody else. So that in 50 years from now, Somebody's going to talk about you in a sermon and the investment you made. If you've not yet read Pastor Jay's book, Game On, I want to commend it to you. It's really good. In that book, Jay quotes Ernest Campbell. I love this quote. Campbell says, to be young is to study in schools that you did not build. 
To be mature is to build schools in which you will not study. To be young is to set under trees you did not plant. To be mature is to plant trees under which you will not sit. To be young is to dance to music you did not write. To be mature is to write music to which you will not dance. To be young is to benefit from the church you did not make. To be mature is to make a church from which you will not benefit. Isn't that beautiful? What song are you writing that future generations will dance to? What church are we going to create here that future generations will worship in? True, meaningful, purpose-driven life is not about what we hold on to. It's about what we invest in the future. And one of the greatest investments we can make of our time, our talents, our treasure is in kids. It's in our Valley kids and it's in our student ministry. Brothers and sisters, when we, I think sometimes when we grow up and we become adults, I think we underestimate and realize the powerful activity of the Holy Spirit in the lives of kids. Jesus isn't for grown-ups alone. Like Jesus said in Matthew 19, he said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Do you want to see the kingdom of God? Do you want to experience the kingdom? Walk through Valley Kids. That's what Jesus said. Walk through our student ministry on a Wednesday night and see young people. That Jesus says there's something about the faith of a child that is most accurately representative of the kingdom of God because it's about Jesus and not how we can save ourselves. It's a childlike faith. So I want to just say thank you to all of you who invest in that next generation. I want to say thank you in particular to those, how should I say this politically correct, to uh, maybe our more seasoned adults who invest in that next generation. I know you're not supposed to say people's age uh, anywhere publicly, but I just want to, the Bible says give honor where honor is due, and this is inspirational to me. I think about Joe Willinger. Joe's 71 years old, and he invests in those kids. They love him. And he loves them. And he loves Jesus. And Jesus pours out of him. He's got his own kids. He's got his own grandkids. But he's investing in our kids and grandkids. I want to be like that. I think about Miss Frances Smith. She's 75 years old. Investing in our kids. I think about Debbie Norbutis and Dorothea Mulholland and Jeannie Hoder and Lisa Benton and Tammy Marksberry and Denise Shelton and others. All of these ladies in their 60s or older, but they're investing in this next generation. What an example. I think about some of the most faithful Valley Kids volunteers we have, and they also faithfully serve in our mercy ministry, and that's Joe and Sherry Bennett some of God's kindest gifts to our church. Joe and Sherry are grandparents themselves. 
But not only do they invest in their own grandkids, they invest in ours. And those kids love them. And, and, and we want to share with you part of their story. I think it will encourage you. I want to be like them. I want to be like Joe and Sherry. Some of the most selfless people that I've ever met in my life. And even in the face of terrible suffering, yesterday we get a text from them. They're praying God's blessing over the food and clothes closet ministry. They would be there if they could, but they just love people. They're going to stand before God one day, and they're going to hear from Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. And it's because of their investment in future generations. They're living a legacy that's going to last for a lifetime. God calls different people to different things. Maybe you're not called to physically serve in Valley Kids or student ministry. Maybe you have other gifts or skills that are better utilized in another area. But as Sherry reminded us, something we can all do is pray for this upcoming generation. In fact, maybe you want to set a reminder on your phone. I don't know that there's a more important prayer we can pray than praying for our kids and teenagers. Because I know being a kid is not easy on anybody. And for all of us growing up, we had our own drama in the teen years. But I'm telling you, from a cultural perspective, to be a kid or a teen today is harder than it's ever been before. And if there's ever a time when we need to pray for this generation, it is now. And we can all do that. We're also in a special season in our church. You know, I was thinking about it. It's probably the only time in the history or in, in, in our lifetimes we'll do this as a church, most likely. It's, it's a unique season where we're out of room back there in Valley Kids. And I'm not going to give you guys all the stats because uh, you, you've heard them from me over and over again. But uh, we've been turning away kids for too long back there. Last week, I talked to three moms who wanted to come be here for VTI to hear about sexuality and gender, and they weren't able to come because we didn't have room for their kids back there. And that's just not okay. Like, it's just not the heart of Jesus. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. So brothers and sisters, we got to make more space for them. That's not a need. That is a want. I'm sorry. It's not a want. It's a need. You know what I mean? It's a necessity. So what we're going to do, if you're newer to the church, I just want you to know how much this means to us. We're going to take this whole room and flip it. This whole auditorium, we won't be in here in 18 months, Lord willing. The kids will be. They're going to have their own space with plenty of room. Then we're going to take that. The Lord has blessed us with that auto garage back there. And uh, so we, we've been able to purchase that, but we still got to raise money to renovate it and, and make it usable. And I, I'm telling you, I, I just I can't think of a better investment than to help us raise money to build more space for the kingdom of God. Kids, I I just don't know what's closer to the heart of God than, than kids knowing him. And I can promise you in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, this is an investment we will not regret. Let's build a church for our kids and grandkids that they can enjoy. And, and I want to challenge us, let's pay for it now so there's no debt we're passing on to them. Let's not burden future generations. Let's give them a safe 
church equipped to teach and train and send out disciples, and they don't have to worry about the money. They can just enjoy it and worship and send it on down the line. Let's do that for the church that will be here, and we're all dead and gone. We're at the halfway point of this unique season in our church of this initiative we've talked a lot about. So today is an act of worship. We're going to have a chance to commit, or in some cases, maybe recommit what the Lord is calling us to do. If Pleasant Valley is not your church home, of course, there's no expectation that you participate in this. So while we're doing this, just feel free to bow and pray along with us. But if you call Pleasant Valley your home, uh, we want to invite you as the Spirit leads you, not out of compulsion, but out of a cheerful heart to see what God would have you commit to do. So there's a uh, uh, card. If you'll pull that out, you should be sitting on it probably. And so if you take that out in just a moment, we're going to take some time and prayer and and again, if you call Pleasant Valley your home, let's fill those out together. Here are some of the options that we have. Number one, for those of us that made commitments last year, about 190 of us, the first option is to affirm and just continue whatever that original commitment was and say, God, I want to keep doing that. The second option, if, if we made a commitment last year, is you could increase that commitment. And I, I want to challenge us to think through, has God blessed our finances this year? Has our portfolio grown? Did we get a raise maybe? Did we come into some money out of the blue? That got, if not, then I, I think it's only appropriate that we return that back to the Lord as a thank you to him and increase our giving. I wanna challenge us there. Third, for those that made a commitment last year, a third option would be to extend that. It was a two-year, extend it to a third year through 2025. You could do that as well. Maybe you weren't here last year or didn't feel led to make a commitment. We'd ask you to prayerfully consider doing that through 2024. Let's bow our heads. And I just want to encourage us just to sit with the Lord and pray and say, God, how would you have me to fill this thing out? Holy Spirit, what would you have me to do? But I want to really encourage you, don't just to write down the first thing that comes up. Really go to the Lord about it. Just don't rush. Say, Lord, what would you have me to do to make an investment in future generations? And take all the time you need, and then we'll be up here. Uh, we'll have some music playing, and we're going to sing in a little while. But just as you feel led, you're welcome to come down front and place that card. And we have baskets all across the front here in this platform I'm standing on. You can drop them in. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, that is totally cool. You can drop those in the black lock boxes on the way out the door. That's fine, too. However you feel led, there's no pressure there. But this is a space for worship. It's a space to give back to the Lord. So spend some time with the Spirit. See what He would lead us to do as we move forward. Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc.